Well, we are doing a series, call it a tour of Israel, called The Land of the Bible. And we have uh, been going to various places, went to Caesarea on the sea, and then um, went to the Sea of Galilee and visited a bunch of, of places around the Sea of Galilee. Now today, what I want to do is take you to three mountains, right? I want to take you... Uh, first of all, north of the Sea of Galilee to a place called Caesarea Philippi, not to be confused with Caesarea. This is called Caesarea by the Sea or Caesarea Maritime. This is called Caesarea Philippi, and we'll talk about that first. Then we want to go south to another mountain called Megiddo, not Mosquito, Megiddo. And then we want to go up on this mountain called Mount Carmel. And uh, some pretty amazing things happened on all three uh, of these mountains. So let's first of all go to Caesarea Philippi. Now, uh, Jesus did most of his ministry here uh, around the Sea of Galilee. But then you could say, in essence, he went on a retreat with his 12 apostles, and they, they went up uh, to uh, this mountainous region called Caesarea Philippi. And um, remember that, you guys? Yeah. So you go to this location, and there's a mountain, a rock, and in the rock is a cave, and out of the cave flows a spring, and the spring feeds this river. There's a rock, and the name of the cave is, do you remember? Right, they did, they did. The name of the cave is the gates of hell, right? So in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He probably said this standing in front of this area. Now, I've, uh, I've wrestled with this passage and this verse because I was raised Roman Catholic, and this is a very important verse for Roman Catholics, but also I, I, I like everything to fit. And um, the question is, does this rock and does this cave, the gates of hell, have anything to do with really understanding the essence of this passage? And I've concluded, in my little mind, that it's simply one of these things where Jesus takes the immediate setting and then he teaches deeper spiritual truth. You know, like he feeds a crowd, and they're eating bread. And he goes, hey, speaking of bread, how's that? Speaking of bread, um, I'm the bread of life. And the woman at the well, they're drinking water. He goes, hey, speaking of water, I'll give you living water. And I believe all that's going on here, he's saying, speaking of rocks and the gates of hell, I'm going to build my church on a rock, and the gates of hell will, will not prevail against it. So um, while I think it's kind of cool 
that the that sixteen eighteen has those phrases. I'm, I don't want you to read too much into the setting other than speaking of these things, and then he points to himself. Okay? Now, um, this place is called Caesarea Philippi. It used to be called Peneus because, and you can, you can see these shelves that they've carved into, these are ancient shelves that they've carved into the rock. And first of all, Baal was worshipped here in Canaan. And then when the Greeks took over, they worshipped Pan. Pan is a god who's half goat and half man, and he plays the pan flute. Right? Um, and there's all these legends about pan. Um, so this was the center of, first of all, Baal worship, then pan worship, and then Herod the Great's son, Philip, said, you know, I'm going to turn this place into, uh, an, we're going we're gonna to honor Caesar, so let's call it Caesarea, Caesarea, and I'm going to name it after myself, Philippi. Caesarea Philippi. And there was emperor worship. So this is a thoroughly pagan location that Jesus goes to. And that's where he takes his disciples. And here's what happens. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? What's the word on the street about me? Who are people saying I am? Right? And they said, some say John the Baptist. Now, remember, John's dead at this point. But there was, uh, at least Herod was afraid that he had risen from the dead. So some people thought, that's John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Okay? Um, others say Elijah. What's the last book in the Old Testament? Thank you. Malachi. Okay. What's the last chapter in Malachi? What's the last verse? <laughs> I don't know. But <laughs> I think there's only six verses, right? But the last two verses say, Before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I will send Elijah. Ooh, Elijah's coming back. Maybe this Jesus is Elijah. Or one of the prophets. Now he's Zephaniah. No, he's Jeremiah. No, he's Isaiah. Okay. Others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter. And I, I tried to find this cartoon, but there's this hilarious cartoon. Jesus sitting on a rock, and he asks his um, apostles, who do you say I am? And Peter's like, oh, 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 oh. You know, he's jumping up and down. Um, who do you say that I am. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, um, the, the term the Christ, a lot, a lot of people don't get this. Jesus's name was not Jesus Christ, like Josh Smith. It was Jesus from Nazareth, Jesus son of, of Joseph from Nazareth, and his title is 
the Christ. The, the term Christ comes from the Old Testament. It means the anointed one. Okay? And it, it, it can be translated Messiah. So, who, Peter, who do you say I am? You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the one we read about in the Old Testament that's going to be the prophet, priest, and king. You're that guy. Right? And you're the son of the living God. Now, in Jewish thought, that conveyed deity. Now, I don't know how much at this point the apostles were fully getting the idea that Jesus was fully God and fully man. But here, Peter is, is giving divine revelation. You're the Messiah, the son of God. All right? How much he, he understood. And, and based on that, we also know that this Messiah... According to Isaiah 53, is going to be pierced, and he's going to die, and he's going to be a substitute for sin. So put this all together. Peter is starting to reveal that Jesus is fully God, fully man, the Messiah, who will die for us. This is the gospel, the foundation of the gospel. Okay. Um, and Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. You have just, Peter, spoken divine revelation. Okay? Now, verse 18. Here we go. And I tell you, you are Peter, Petros, and on this rock, Petra, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Verse 18, lots of controversy around verse 18. Okay. Who or what is the rock? Okay. I tell you that you are Peter. Now, Peter's name in um, Aramaic was Cephas, stone. In Greek, it's Petros, little stone. And upon this Petra, it was a really good 80s band, Petra, right? Um, Maybe they're not that good, I don't know. Back then they were good. Uh, You are Peter, you are Petros, and on this Petra, I will build my church. Now, here's the Catholic view. Peter is the rock. You are a rock, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. You're a little rock, and I'm going to turn you into big rock. And upon you, Peter, I'm going to build my church. Okay? This is the verse that the Roman Catholic Church uses to say that Peter, right here, is chosen as the first pope. He's the foundation stone of the church upon which the church is built and then he will tag the next guy who will be the next pope, and he'll tag the next guy. And that'll, that goes all the way down to Pope Francis today. And implied in all this is this. If you are not part of the Roman Catholic Church built on the foundation of Peter, as stationed today in Rome, you're not part of the true church. Now, they don't emphasize that that much today, but you're rebels for not being in the Roman Catholic Church. You are rebelling against the true church 
Based on what? Based on this verse. Because Jesus built his church upon Peter, the rock. Hey, you're dismissed. That's the Roman Catholic view. Now, let me give you the, I'm going to call this the older Protestant view. I don't mean old Protestants. Like, if you're over 60, this is your view. Um, <laughs> what, what I mean is um, right after the Reformation, most of the Reformers took this view. They say, no, Peter's not the rock. Jesus is the rock. Just do a word study on the word rock, and you'll find, for example, in 1 Corinthians 10.4, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Romans 9, 1 Peter 2 uh, is quoting from Isaiah, which is talking about Jesus, the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So do your word study. Jesus is a rock in a number of places. Clearly, he's the rock here. Now, what I would say is be careful. Be, be careful with word studies. You need to do them. But you know the, the, uh, the phrase, uh, a little knowledge is a dangerous thing? Some people find out, oh, there's a program online where I can click on a word and do a word study in the original Greek or the original Hebrew, and it appears here, 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 and here. Therefore, every time it appears, it must mean blah, 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 blah. Okay? Doesn't work that way. Okay? Um, let, me, let me give you an example of why you need to be careful about that. Who's the light of the world? I heard Jesus. Anybody say anything different? There you go. Who's, well, Jesus is the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. John 9, 5. And Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Who's the light of the world? (laughs) Depends on context, right? So, so while you can find Jesus being the rock here, here, and there, that doesn't prove he's the rock in Matthew 16, verse 18. It, it opens the possibility, but here, here's a really fancy term that D.A. Carson coined. Be careful that you don't commit illegitimate totality transfer, which means illegitimately transferring the totality of the meaning of a word in one context illegitimately into the context of of where that word appears elsewhere. Okay? Um, So we'll we'll come back to the the Protestant view, or the older Protestant view. Now, let me introduce a a third view. Speaking of D.A. Carson, he holds this view. The newer Protestant view. Peter is the rock. Uh, in other words, most, most New Testament scholars today seem to be moving in this direction that Peter is indeed the rock. But that doesn't mean he's the Pope. That doesn't mean Jesus is establishing an office of Pope. That doesn't mean there's a secession of popes. It doesn't mean Peter can speak infallibly. Peter is the rock in this sense. 
He's the leader of the apostles, and he's the first to preach the gospel in Jerusalem, then Samaria, then to the Gentiles. Hey, Rocky, go take the gospel out there. You're the rock because you're laying the foundation of the gospel. Okay? So those are the three views. They're all wrong. They all suffer from pronoun trouble. Okay? Um, and I tell you, all right, so now pronouns are very important. So who can I pick on? I will pick on, um, where's, Ryan? See, Ryan, where's Ryan? Okay, so here, this will be Ryan. Skinny old Ryan, okay. So, and I tell you, now, now in Greek, now, in English, you could be singular or plural. When I'm talking to you, I could be talking to you, or I could be talking to y'all. But in Greek, you can tell. In the Greek, that's a singular. And I tell you that you are Peter. You are Peter. Okay? And on, now here's the pronoun, this rock, I will build my church. The Catholic view and the newer Protestant view assumes that Jesus is saying, you are Peter and upon you I'm going to build my church. But he doesn't say upon you I'm going to build my church. He says upon this. So you are Peter and upon this, he's pointing outside of Peter. He, what's the this there for? Okay. This, this say, so, so some people have said, well, he starts talking to Peter. You are Peter. And then he steps aside, doing a Caleb here, stepping out of the light. And he's now turning to the apostles and he's saying, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. It's creative, but it doesn't say he did that. The other view that it's Jesus is the rock, he would have to be doing this. You are Peter, and upon this rock, me, I'm going to build my church. Now, that's true, but he doesn't seem to be shifting his pronoun direction. It doesn't say he pointed to himself or he pointed to Peter. Okay? And it certainly seems that he continues talking to Peter because he says, I will give you, singular, the keys of the kingdom. So he seems to be talking to Peter the whole time, but the this directs us outside of Peter. So what is the this referring to? How about what just came out of Peter's mouth? Who do you say I am? You are the Christ. The son of the living God, I tell you what, you're a little rock. And upon this big rock, Petra, that just came out of your mouth, I'm going to build my church. Right? You're Peter, and you said a mouthful. I'm going to build my, my church on the fact that I am the Christ, the son of the living God, who will die and rise and pay for sin. That's what, it, that's what it's saying. Okay? 
Otherwise, we better go back to Rome and repent. Okay. Now, um, what about the keys? And, and this, this is one of these things where the Catholic Church would say, um, this is, our, this is this, the killer argument. I will give you, singular, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. Uh, Jesus is turning over the keys to Peter, and he's in charge of the kingdom. And it's a it's singular you, right? So what do, we, what do we do with that? Well, two chapters later, Jesus gives this same authority of binding and loosing to y'all. Truly I say to, plural, y'all, whatever y'all bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever y'all loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Same authority. But now it's extended, and I don't think it's just extended to the apostles. He's been talking about church discipline here. And where you go to one person and confront them, and then you bring two or three, then you go to the church, and he's talking about y'all. We all seem to have this authority. Why? Because the authority is the gospel. If people accept the gospel, their sins are forgiven. If they repent, they're forgiven. If they don't, we have the authority to say, uh, you're, you're not. It's not because we have some magical key power. It's because we have the gospel. All right. Now, what about the gates of hell, gates of Hades? All right. Well, it's really popular to say um, gates are a defensive thing. Satan is behind the gates of hell, and we're attacking him. Go church and bust down the gates of hell and save people. Now, that's a true message, but I don't think that's what this is referring to. Hell is Hades, the abode of the dead. I believe what Jesus is saying is this. Death won't stop this promise that I will build my church. Christ's death didn't stop him. Your death won't stop you. You'll be resurrected. And I believe, put it all together, it's saying this. Um, You're going to have to die. You're going to have to sacrifice to spread the gospel. But when Jesus returns, the gospel will have gone to every realm of the planet. Now, and, and this is amazing because there's only 12 guys here. So he's saying, I'm going to build my church and death won't stop us because we'll be resurrected. Now, here's all, you go, that's all interesting. Do we have to go back to Rome? No, I don't think we need to have to go back to Rome. I think he's saying we all possess the key to entrance to heaven. It's the gospel. And the church will be built on the gospel. And, and Christians, I want you to die. Be willing to die to spread the, the, the gospel in the church. Okay? So here's, here's a, an application. We have it pretty easy over here church is you know 10 o'clock and yeah we have to set up i know that's hard but you know at least we're not living in a cave in syria um in fear of having our necks sliced open 
Um, what are you willing to sacrifice for Valley Brook Community Church to be here when Jesus returns? This is our 15th anniversary coming up this year. And here's, if, 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 it's, if it's time to steer the ship, I think, you know, the first few years, you're just like, we're going to survive. Let's try to survive. Now, I think we need to steer the ship into the future. We need to be here for your kids and your grandkids, or maybe not even your kids, but for the next generation. We need to start thinking along those lines. Are you willing to die for that? Are you willing to give a lot of money for that? Ooh. Okay, that's my point. That's Caesarea Philippi. Let's go to Megiddo. All right. Here's a question. Oh, by the way, Megiddo is a... uh, a town, a city. This is Mount Carmel. There's a mountain range here. And Megiddo is um, on the, uh, it's kind of right by the opening of a, of a pass in the mountain. And then there's this plain here. The plain of Jezreel. There it is. It's the plain of Jezreel. What does, quiz question, Pharaoh Tutmose III, Gideon, Barak and Deborah, King Josiah, Alexander the Great, Napoleon, and General Edmund Allenby, World War I, what do they all have in common? Anybody know? No, you've been there. Well, I'll come back if nobody else gets it. Anybody else know? They all fought battles there, right? Okay. They all fought on that plane. Um, some, some say there have been over 100 wars and battles fought on that plane. In fact, fun fact, the first battle recorded in human history is not recorded in the Bible. It's an extra-biblical source between Pharaoh of Egypt and the Canaanites on that battlefield. First battle of human history and the last battle of human history. You know, well, we're not done yet, are we? We have prophecy. By, oh, by the way, you go, why, why in the world is this such a a fought-over place. Well, well, think about this. If you want to move from Africa or Egypt to Asia or to Europe, you have to pass through Israel, a little thing of land in Israel. And this is a topographical map of Israel, which is very revealing. This is the the Jordan, the Dead Sea, the Jordan River. Um, 
you certainly don't want to go through, through the eastern side with all these mountains. And close to the Jordan River are, are a bunch of mountains. You want to go up the coastal plain where it's, there's a road. But then you run into Mount Carmel. And you have to squeeze through this little toll booth right here. And right there's Megiddo. It's the toll booth of the world. That's why it's such a valuable piece of land. Okay? And that's why so many wars have been fought for that piece of land. Now, here in Revelation 16, you've got your uh, three series of judgments on the world. You've got your seal judgments, your trumpet judgments, and now your bowl judgments. There are seven of each. This is bowl Number six, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Now, does that mean Chinese? It's, it's everything east. It could be Iran, Iraq, Persia, Babylon, whatever, you know, that's where the bad guys are. The Euphrates River is drying up so they can... Come and get you. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, and out of the mouth of the beast, that's persecuting government, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, that's false religion, three unclean spirit-like frogs. For they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for a battle on the great day of God the Almighty. By the way, you go... How, do, how would all the nations of the world gather? <clears throat> is it, do they, are they just all watching the fake news? And they, is it propaganda that gets everybody together? Demons. Demonic influence is drawing them together. <clears throat> so Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. We'll come back to that in just a second. Now, where is this going to take place? And they assembled them at that place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon, or Har Megiddo, Mount of Megiddo. Mount, and there's uh, Mount Megiddo, and there's the plain. Okay, now I got to tell you, there are different interpretations of what this battle is. There's the more spiritual, symbolic interpretation, and then the more literal interpretation. The more symbolic interpretation you will find in your ESV study Bible, note chapter 16, verse 16. It says this. In the symbolic geography of John's visions, it aptly represents, Armageddon, it aptly represents the global combat zone in which the final conflict between Christ and Satan will be fought. Now, they're, they're kind of loose in this, but there's room to say, wait a minute, this is using a battle location that everybody knows, it's the battlefield of the world, to, to talk symbolically about the final onslaught of, of evil versus God. 
All right, this, this would be a more symbolic interpretation, not necessarily a literal battle over there. Now, uh, if you have, for example, a MacArthur Study Bible, he says, the battle will rage on the nearby plains, site of Barak's victory over the Canaanites and Gideon's victory over the Midianites. Napoleon called this valley the greatest battlefield he had ever seen. So dispensationalists would take this far more literally. Okay? There you go. There's two interpretations. Which one's right? Don't know. I think it'd be funny if both were right. But as with end time things, uh, and people fight over this and they uh, split churches over stupid things like this and get all... We don't know. It hasn't happened yet. Right? But what's the most important thing? Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. What's most important is the end is coming. Are you ready? Or are you so caught up in the things of the world? Final four. Gonzaga versus, was it North Carolina? Woo, who cares? Cubs won. That's great. Dancing with the Stars. Who's winning? I don't know. Trump. Boo. Boo, lots of stuff. Jesus is coming back. Joe Stoll, who used to be the president of Moody, writes this. He says, a friend of mine, Bud Wood, by the way, we can move Ryan out of the way here. A friend of mine, Bud Wood, founded Shepherd's Home in Wisconsin for boys and girls with developmental disabilities. This ministry started with a primary goal of sharing God's love with the residents and encouraging them toward a personal and growing walk with Jesus. I remember Bud asking me one time, Hey, Joe, do you know what our biggest maintenance problem is at, at the Shepherd's? I have no idea, I replied. Dirty windows. Our kids press their hands and faces against the windows because they're looking to the sky to see if today might be the day that Jesus will return for them and take them to his home where they will be healed and complete. Then Stoll says, I love that. Talk about having your priorities in the right place. One of the hallmarks of a committed follower of Jesus is longing for his return And I think the challenge here is that for some of us, our windows are too clean. He's coming back. Do you live in light of that? Do you make your decisions in light of that? All right, one last mountain we want to visit. Mount Carmel. All right, so Megiddo is um, on the pass. All right, so so here's the Mount Carmel mountain range. And Megiddo is right here, but this is Mount Carmel. Now, um, the most well-known event that took place on Mount Carmel was... Right, yes, Elijah. Fire came down, right? Okay, so um, let's go back to the Old Testament. Israel's divided into north and south. The king of the north is Ahab and his lovely wife. Who's Ahab's lovely wife, dear? Sorry to disturb. 
Jezebel. Yes, Jezebel. Okay. So um, Jezebel, she was a prize. <laughs> she um, invited false prophets into the palace and fed them and was killing the true prophets. And Elijah was a true prophet, and he was hiding out. <clears throat> and one day, Elijah says to King Ahab, we're going to have a contest. So here's, here's what it says. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel. And the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So she had a, a government-sponsored Feed the False Prophets program. And they would eat at her table in the palace. Okay? So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people as one responded. The people did not answer him a word. We don't, know. We don't want to make a choice. It's kind of comfortable here in the middle. Right? So Elijah says, all right, let's figure out who the true God is. There's two bulls up here. Let's kill them. And you guys, you false guys, Put your bowl uh, on the ground over there and call upon your God, Baal. Now the focus shifts to Baal. <clears throat> call on Baal to bring down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. That should be, be easy since he's like the fire God. How hard could that be? So they took the bowl that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning till noon saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. And no one answered, and they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he's a god. Either he's musing, he's thinking, he's deep in thought, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, maybe he's on vacation. Or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. I mean, see, see Elijah sitting there in his soccer chair. And they're all chanting and doing their thing and calling upon. And he's mocking them. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with their swords, with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Pagan blood and screaming at, at Baal to bring down fire. Nothing happens. So finally, at the end of the day, Elijah says, all right, my turn. And he puts the other bowl on an altar. And he says, now, before we pray, see those four big jars of water? I want you to douse the, uh, the sacrifice. Oh, and they dug a trench around the altar, big hole around the altar. And they drenched the sacrifice. And he says, do it again. They do it again. Do it again. Three times. So this thing's soaking wet, and the trench encircling the altar is full of water. Now, why did he do that? If this thing catches on fire, then there's no, nobody can say, well, 
It's been a drought, and one of the guys flicked his cigarette butt in there, and it caught on fire. And did it. No, there's, this is, if this catches on fire, there is no coincidental thing going on here. All right. So, Elijah prays. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And then Elijah says, Grab them. They grabbed the false prophets. And Elijah kills 450 false prophets with his sword. Then it says, King Ahab, who was up there, he got in his chariot and he went to Jezreel, 20 miles away. But Elijah outran his chariot. Super prophet. I think Elijah is a picture of Christ. One man versus all the forces of evil. We are the limping, wavering Israelites. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Place your faith in me. I think every sacrifice is also a picture of Christ, and the sacrifice on this altar is a type of Christ where the wrath of God and the fire from God fell upon a cross 2,000 years ago, and Jesus died in our place to pay for our sin. Three days later, he rises victoriously, and he says, believe in me. So, as we enter into communion, let's look at these words. How long will you go on limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. You know, there are a number of places in Scripture where it says this, either get all in or get out. I'd rather have you hot or cold, but lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Choose this day whom you will serve. And if it's not Christ, then at least be a man and follow Satan like a good Satanist. But don't hang out in the church with a half-hearted, well, I kind of believe in Jesus and I kind of like to live for my sin. Choose this day whom you will serve, and if it's not Christ, then at least live consistently with what your heart believes. Right? Now, communion is a time when we remember what Christ did for us. He came to earth and he died on the cross to fully pay the price for our sin. It's, it, yes, it's a time to examine ourselves. It's a time to repent. Uh, but it's, it's primarily a time to remember what he did for us. But it's also a time 
to recommit to him. Just between you and him, the taking of the elements is you saying, I am all in. I am resting my trust and my heart and my salvation on you and you alone. I am 100% in. If you're not, then please just don't take the elements. Don't waver between two worlds. If Christ is Lord, then follow him. So those who are helping out, if you will come up. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes.